Amen. Welcome, everyone. And I know she just prayed, but I'm going to pray. <laughs> I'm sure you don't mind. Father, we worship you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you opened up a narrow way. Now it was relationship with you. You offered us friendship. You offered us everything that you are. Everything that you gave in your son. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that which your Holy Spirit has to speak. Because your word says he only speaks of you. Because he is you. Lord, I give you my mouth. I give you my will. I ask that you speak only what you desire through me. You've given me much this morning, and Father, honestly, I I need you to organize it for me. Because it's important. I trust you with my voice as well as I've lost it. Father, help it to maintain at least so those whom you intend to hear will hear. Do your will, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brooke alluded to it uh, there in her final prayer. Most of you know, and for those who don't, you'll know now, that the Lord, he doesn't tell me ahead of time what I am to preach on. It's usually in the morning when I spend time with him on Sunday or oftentimes when I step up here. (laughs) And what I have noticed Like, the Lord doesn't tell me ahead of time, hey, you're going to do a series, right? I don't think the Lord lays it out like that. I think that's a process that we have come to understand and and control in many ways, especially those of us who fill pulpits. But what I've noticed over the last two two weeks was a link. A link of what he's been saying has been continued on, and it's critically important that the church get this. I can tell you that the last two weeks go with today. I have a hunch, can't tell you for sure, but I believe it will also go through next week. Because the information that he has given me has been overwhelming. This is what he has been teaching me over probably the last six, eight months. And 
I've been wondering when he was going to bring it out to the church. And perhaps he was waiting for me to structurally understand it myself. I don't know. But if you have not heard the last two weeks, I encourage you, or even if you have, go back and listen to the podcast again. Because there is information in there that is critical to what the Lord wants you to understand about right now, about today, about this time in which we live. It's critical because of his plans for his church. His plans for his bride. Boy, as Christians, we have no problem claiming all the good things that he says. In fact, they become mantras of hope for us, and they should be. The problem is the church really doesn't understand what our part in that is, and what part, what role we play in that. We just know one day we get to be with him. One day we'll know all the things that we need to know. One day we're going to be face to face. One day it will not be a problem for us. One day the enemy will not be there any longer to hinder us. I mean, we all would agree with that, right? We would all believe that. I certainly believe it. Got saved at nine. Believed it ever since. Probably believed it before I was saved. But the truth is the church does not understand her role in this. Because God works through his bride. He works through individuals. Never in history, ever in history, has God brought a move of his spirit that he did not begin with someone that was human why he had to send Jesus to become a man. Because literally, to show us how. To show us what is supposed to be. To show us what can be done. So I want to just kind of go over last week just a little bit in introduction here. And and again, I I really want to encourage you to Go through these, and, and Brooke, remind me, maybe after today, we'll go back on the podcast and we'll, we'll rename the first two and, and make it a part of a series on there. We started out with asking, why in the world are we here? Why are we even created with all the problems in the world? Why? And we know the answer to that. The answer to that is fellowship and love says in Hebrews that the angels were created for servanthood, but we were created for fellowship. We were created for friendship. God literally created us with self-choice, the choice to choose him or not, for the purpose of love, because love demands that free will. Love demands that free choice. So that's why we were created. But right away, I mean, right away, Satan got in there. Lucifer got in there and tempted to change things. And man failed. He did. Adam failed. Adam failed, and and it goes into the first 
first week. I'm not going to go into depth on this, but he failed. That was the first failure. Giving authority, literally taking the title deed of the earth, signing it over, handing it to Satan and saying, it's yours. It's yours. You have the right to it because I've chosen sin over God. From that moment, it was prophesied that there would be a redemption plan. But it wasn't done yet. Man's failures weren't done yet. Right? We talked last week about a, a, a sin that brought on the flood. And I, I, I know last week there were so many instances where I wanted to go down that quote-unquote rabbit hole. I wanted to share with you more information about it, but I encourage you, if you are not spending time in your Bible, if you are not taking these things and taking them deeper, you don't even realize what you're missing. You don't even realize it. And by the way, if you've read it a thousand times or you've understood it your entire life and you still don't do it, you're missing something very special. I can tell you myself in studying the Word of God for over 40 years, teaching it for over 30, I can tell you He even now shows me things I've never seen in there. You're going to see a few today. Things I never even realized. Things I had no idea because the only way to get to them is relationship with Him where He begins to peel back layers of a meaning of what His Word says because His Word is living. It's breathing. It's not black and white on paper. Because... Even his word says it requires the Holy Spirit to teach us. It requires him showing us what the Father is saying. So again, the second failure brought on the flood. And again, I won't go down the rabbit hole, but there was a specific failure that brought on the flood. It was when the sons of God... Those that were of the fallen angels, there were a group of them that came and they slept with human women. And there were Nephilim, the Bible says, produced from that. Again, a rabbit hole I'm not going to go down right now, but you need to understand that there is a plan, there always has been a plan from the enemy to conquer. And that's exactly what happened in Genesis 6, by the way, this is not the Sethite view where it's the sons of Seth and the daughters of Cain. It's not that. Goodness, I'm not going to, again, maybe, maybe one day the Lord will let me lay all that out. That is so ridiculous and false. And yet probably 90% of the evangelical church preaches that. Oh, Satan's happy that they do. Why? Because it puts a blinder on as to who he is and who the enemy is. Trust me, he doesn't want you to know who he is. Why? Because you have been destined as his bride to crush him. 
through the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. We'll get to that. But understand, this was the second failure of mankind. And God was going to obliterate it. And praise God that, that Noah found grace in his eyes. Why? Because Noah was righteous? No. Read it. Genesis 6. It's because Noah was perfect in his generations. His bloodline was perfect. His bloodline wasn't tainted at all. So those eight people, out of however many were alive then, who knows? Eight people. Eight. Just eight made it. Boy, want to talk about failure as a preacher. Noah had to feel pretty much like a failure. Preaching for 120 years, building this ark that he didn't even know what it truly was for or what it was about. And the only people that are saved are him, his family. Him, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws. I don't know about you, but that ought to make preachers today feel pretty good. But that was the second failure of mankind. The third, however, in my opinion, was the most devastating. Even though most people don't understand that. Most people don't even really understand what was going on in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. We talked about this last week. Again, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole, but those same Nephilim that were before the flood, the Bible says in Genesis 6, were after. We know they were there when Israel entered the land of Canaan. Seven times the Father told them to annihilate every man, woman, and child in that city. Why? Because God's just mean? No. No, it it was because the bloodline was tainted. Because what had happened before the flood happened again after the flood. Well, that is exactly what was happening at the Tower of Babel. And we we read it last week. Again, I'm not going to turn there, but I want to encourage you to go back and look at it. Because all of the known world at that time, the biblical known world, which, by the way, was not the entire thing, as we see later on, but the entire known world was coming together to create a name for themselves. Slapping the Father directly in the face, they no longer wanted to be under the name of Yahweh, under His rule. And so they start to build this tower. Now, do you think the the tower was... I mean, God said, oh my goodness, they're building this thing so high, they're going to get to me. I mean, do you really think that's what this was about? No, I, I mean, the truth about it is the tower was probably not much more than three to 400 feet high. Not near as tall as many of our structures today. It wasn't about the height of the structure. It was about the unity of the people. The people were unified against God. But they were also being led. 
they were being led by a group of non-human. A group, a divine council that is to be held responsible for leading humans the wrong way. That's why God said, we'll go down and we'll confuse their language. That was the antithesis of what separated them. But the separation was not just so they wouldn't keep building this tower. The separation was because God had given up on the nations. If you don't believe me, read it. We went over it last week. It said in Deuteronomy 32 that God gave the nations away. Who did he give them to? Noah? No. Moses? No, he wasn't alive yet. Abraham? No. Abraham wasn't alive yet. Israel? He gave them to Israel. No, Israel wasn't even a nation yet. Who he gave them to was the divine council that had betrayed him in the first place. These principalities that had fallen and taken matters into their own hands. That was the third failure. God gave away the nations. And again, we went over that last week. But it also birthed a plan. And this is where it gets exciting, guys. A plan was birthed right there because God would not relent on his creation. He would not. Why? Because he loves his creation. He loves us. No matter how much we reject him, no matter what we do, no matter how much the enemy infiltrates even our very bloodlines, he still loves his creation. He loves us. So a plan of redemption was birthed. We knew, we read last week in, in Isaiah chapter 11, we won't turn there, but we, we know that there would be a Messiah that would come from a very specific bloodline. At the Tower of Babel, this was a group of people that didn't even exist yet. It was some 200 years after Babel that Abraham was even born and called. And he was not called as a Jew. He was a Gentile who then became the father of the nations and ultimately the father of many nations. God took out of what had rejected him and he said, I will take an ember from this. I will take a burning stick that I will call my own. I will build in this a people that will be my people, that will be my nation that I will take back. And he did. And you know the history of that. You know the failures of that, guys. Think about it. Of these, this nation that was to be God's, that did serve him, but then did not. Ultimately went in slavery for 400 years before they were freed. 
as God works through Moses. And then after still pushing God off, saying, no, thank you for the great land, but we can't go in there. Why? Because the Nephilim are in there. The Anakin, the Rephaim, they're in there. They're big, they're giants, but it's not that they are giants, guys. By the way, do a little research on that, too. It isn't that they were 200 feet tall. In fact, if you look at it and do the research, they're about what giants are today. They're in the seven to nine foot range. And again, another rabbit hole I would love to go down, but I can't. I can't right now. But they were in the land. Why were they afraid of them? Because they were tall? No, because they had Satan on their side. They had Lucifer on their side. They were not born of this earth purely. So they were afraid of them. Ultimately, they were afraid of them because they didn't trust that their God, Yahweh, was strong enough to overcome that. Except for two. Joshua and Caleb. So because of this, they had to wait 40 more years. In fact, I, I feel the worst for Moses. Because in those 40 years, Moses had one single failure that cost him going into the promised land. When he struck the rock out of anger, and yet the Lord wasn't angry. He was not portraying to Israel the true feelings of the Father in that one instance. God held back the promised land, but he did show it to him. He did say that the nation will inherit this, and many nations will come from it, and nations will be blessed because of it. And then even as Joshua goes in and does all that, takes over the land, everything else, they still come to a point of failure. Where they say, we want a king. We want a king. See, that was a slap in God's face because God was their king. He even said to Samuel, Samuel, don't be offended in this because it is not you that they reject, but me. And he said, I will give them a king. I will give them what they ask for and they will regret it. And they did. He gave them Saul. But out of that was birthed the true kingship that began with David. Again, think of what's going on here. God had given the nations to rule and be ruled by principalities. I myself, I said last week, I believe it's seven. You have examples in Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 5. And elsewhere, you have it in Revelation of there being seven places in the world where the enemy operates from, where eyes see everything. And in Zechariah chapter 1, he sends his angels out to view them, to view what's going on. From those seven places, they see everything. I believe those were the seven principalities that were sent from Babel, 
That's why you see history in other places of the world that isn't mentioned in the Bible. Because it's, it's not part of the redemption plan. It doesn't mean that they were exiled from God's plan or for, for salvation or anything else. Romans 1 deals with that. But don't be confused when you see in the word of God that the known world at that time was not much more than what we would call the Middle East. And yet we know the Mayans go back 5,000 years. Chinese goes back the same. Chinese, Mayans, and I believe there's one other one. I can't think of. Huh? Can't hear you. Couldn't hear that either. But there was one other one. Sorry, I, I, I couldn't hear. But anyways, they go back almost to the flood. Their history. You think that's a surprise? No, it's not a surprise. How in the world did they get there? Go read it. Deuteronomy 32 tells you. So does Genesis chapter 11. It says that they were separated. They were sent out. These literal rulers that were part of God's council were given authority over the nations. And they ruled poorly. Poorly. Understand that. They ruled, they were supposed to rule by giving glory to God. But they didn't. Now, did God know this? Of course he did. Of course he knew what they were going to do. They were already fallen, but they still had choice. Even today, Satan has choice. Not for redemption. But he has choice in his strategy. He's not a robot, a robot just like any of the rest of God's creation. He makes his choices. Now, because angels were made for servanthood, he doesn't have a choice of redemption like we do, like you and me, like humans do. That ship has sailed. Because he never had to believe by faith. He knew Yahweh. He knew he was created. He saw the unseen realm that we don't. So they judged poorly. They led poorly. They led those nations without God. And I want you to turn. We're going to turn first today to Hebrews chapter 2. You know what? Wait. I want to read something else from last week too. And sorry, I know I know we're doing a lot of back back stuff here. Turn to Romans eleven because from what came in the children of Israel, there was a root that was coming. This root of David that would be the redeemer of the world that would change literally everything. They've all known he was coming even though the Pharisees had no idea when he finally was there. Don't think that they just hated him because they were selfish, because they were corrupt. I'm not saying they weren't. But look at their history. Their history is passion for Yahweh. They were passionate 
for him. They were passionate against what Israel had done so many times in turning against God. And so what they wanted to do was stop that. So they took the law, what was perfect and righteous, and they turned it into control. They turned it into a way to control the people for their own good. What does that sound like? You know what? That sounds like just about every evangelical church I know of. Not all, but most. Kind of sounds like communism to me. (laughs) You know, it really does. But the truth is that in this plan of a redeemer, God hid something from the Old Testament saints. Something was hidden. Paul calls it a mystery. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says this. Actually, you know what? Before I read verse 25, let's go back to verse 11. If it, it, and, and I have a theory here. I know so many people see 1111, and they have for quite a, quite a number of years now. I literally saw it just this morning during worship. And, well, what's 1111 mean? And there's a million things that people think. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think it's Romans 11.11, because this is the crux of the mystery. This is the crux of what God is unveiling and saying to Satan, you have no idea what I was doing. And now it's being unfolded, because when my church gets it, you get it. You see what I mean? Let's read, read verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble talking, and this is, this is talking about, uh, the, Paul is talking about Israel falling. So did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. It's because of Israel and what they did that a Messiah was necessary. God sent that Messiah for what? For the salvation of the Gentiles. And then the last five words. So as to make Israel jealous. This entire mystery that God unfolds is for one reason. It is for the fact that he has his chosen people. And he wants to prove to them that he is Yahweh God. Always has been Yahweh God. Always will be Yahweh God. And he is their God. And his son is Jesus Christ. And the way he's going to do it is through his church. He's literally going to make jealous or Israel jealous. What an extraordinary thought. Let's go down to verse 25. Paul lays out this, this mystery. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And we talked about it last week. First of all, a partial hardening. Thank, thank the Lord. Thank you, God. It is in a full hardening. Because there are Jews 
They call them Messianic Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah, accepted him as Savior. They were not fully hardened. There were a remnant that are called to him through that process. But it says this partial hardening, this partial partial deception, this partial inability for them to see the truth has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. I told you last week that for 40 years I believed that that was a specific number. That God, God's just waiting until there is this specific number of Gentiles that get saved. Then, boom, we're gone. And it's all about Israel again. I couldn't have been more wrong. This is one of those layers that he peels back when you press into him. See, what the fullness of the Gentiles here means is the very mystery why it was opened up to the Gentiles in the first place. It was opened up to the Gentiles to literally take back the nations that he had given away at Babel. Why? Because they stewarded stewarded the nations poorly. Those principalities stewarded the nations poorly. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 shows that when we were created, we were created lower than the angels, a little lower than the angels. It said even Jesus. Now, he wasn't created, but he was made in human form a little lower than the angels. Why? Because humans were made lower than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 5, says this. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. By the way, guys, this is talking about Jesus Christ. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subject to him or subjection to him. If you don't believe that, open your eyes. (laughs) Do you see everything in the world and everyone in the world following Jesus Christ? No, you do not. Clearly. In fact, in, in many ways, it's hard to find some that really do. We do not see everything in subject, subjection to him, but we see him for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, talking about Jesus Christ, Connecting him to creation, the very creation that he inserted himself into. In bringing many sons to glory. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Don't be confused. It wasn't that Jesus was not perfect. When he was born of a virgin, he was. He never wasn't perfect. He had to be tried through the fire. 
just like us. He was tempted in every way, just like us. He dealt with heartache, just like us. Bren brought some up in, in a discussion we had this week that I had never thought of before. Imagine the fact that Jesus had to deal with the passing of his father. Jesus growing up knowing who he is and, and what God is going to do through him and knowing when his dad died it was not yet time for him to raise the dead. Imagine the agony. I mean, we can imagine it already just in ourselves, but imagine having that authority and that ability and yet God. Father, Yahweh saying, it is not yet time. Why? Why did Jesus have to go through all these things? Because it's the only way he could teach you and me. We do not have the excuse that we can't do it because we're not God. Jesus did it because he's God. He never operated as God when he was a man. On this earth, he never operated that way, specifically for the fact that you can follow him. He plowed a path that you can do. can't do it by yourself. You have to do it as he did it. That is in relationship with the Father. I want you to turn to Psalm 82. We went over this a little bit last week, but I want you to understand what is going on here. Psalm 82, I'm going to read the the entire psalm, but I want you to remember we went through the, the three main failures. Right then God gave away the, and, and by the way, you got to get this. you got to get this. I know it's a lot of information. I know it can even be a little bit confusing. But if you don't get the layout of history of what's going on, you're not going to understand what he is calling you to do right now. You can't possibly understand it. It won't make any sense. So please, please, please really get this. Go back and study this. But remember, we, we have the... The three failures, God gave away the nations. Out of those nations that he gave away, he birthed the people for himself. That he knew would reject him. But out of that, he would birth a Messiah. The mystery of the Old Testament was that that Messiah would literally include all those nations again. For the purpose of taking back the nations. So God sat down with his counsel. And by the way, if you don't think God has a counsel, you don't understand the word of God. By the way, he doesn't mean a counsel as in he needs this counsel to give him advice. It's not what it is. These are ones that he has counseled because that is who he is. And he tells them to do things that he has expectation for them to do. And in this case, his counsel failed. They failed. Because they were to judge in leadership. 
those seven places of the world, those nations, they were to judge them righteously. Even though they were fallen, they were to show Yahweh to them. And so God sits down with his counsel and he said, no, guys, you screwed up. You screwed up and you're going to pay a dear price for it. Let's read out of Psalm 82. I want you to understand the, the landscape of what's going on here. It says, verse 1, God has taken his place in the divine council and in, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Now understand in the Hebrew here, what it says is, Elohim has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. That can be very confusing if you don't understand the ancient Jewish view of this and what it means. This does not mean that there are other gods like Yahweh. In fact, the Bible says that there are no other gods like him. It does not mean there are no other gods. Clearly, there are other gods worshipped. Baal was worshipped. Ashtoreth was worshipped. There are so many, you look at ancient Egypt, you look at the Mayans, and they all had gods that they worshipped. Don't get hung up on the nomenclature there. Don't get hung up on the fact that there are there is Yahweh God, but there are other divine beings. And what I mean by divine is they are different than you and me. We know this because there is a spirit world. We know that there are angels, and that's what this is talking about. So God sits down, takes his place at the head of this council, and he, it says here he holds judgment. That had to be a tough day for them. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give just, then he said, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Why? Because they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Why? Because you have not led properly. You've been placed in charge of these nations and you have not led properly. And for this I bring judgment on you. He says in verse 6, I said you are God's Son of the Most High, all of you. They were His creation. They were divine beings expected to lead properly. Nevertheless, verse 7, like men... You shall die and fall like any prince. Do you understand what's happening here? Do you understand angels that had eternal life, eternal being? They never knew any different. But yet they knew because of the fall back in Genesis 3 that death would come to every man and women, men and women. We're all going to die. Death had come to them. Why? Because Adam gave it away. He gave his right to access the tree of life. 
Because that access comes in relationship with the Father. He gave away that access to Lucifer. The angels knew this. But the angels also knew that they don't die like men. In fact, they rule. They were given the nations because God finally said they cannot be united as one. I will spread them out. And then they can rule themselves. They can do whatever they want because they have not chosen me. It didn't mean he did not expect those principalities to lead properly because he did. He said, nevertheless, like men, you shall die. He pronounced judgment upon them right there. That they would become lower than men. Those who were created above men would become lower than men. This whole thing started, this judgment was passed, and then it began with Jesus to open this mystery, this mystery of what he was going to do. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6 talks about how we will judge angels. We will also judge the world. Verses 2 and 3, verse 2 says this. Or do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Paul here was talking about, seriously, you guys can't deal with this as a church. Do you not understand that one day you're going to rule the world? You're going to judge the world? You're going to judge angels that you were created lower than. And you can't even deal with this small little trivial trial in your church. That's the background of what he's saying here. By the way, I love some of the best things that God says in the word of God were kind of just these afterthoughts that get said by someone like Paul. You know, clearly in the, in the 14 years that he spent God preparing his life and, and he was taken up to the third heaven, it says. Clearly, he was shown things that he even said. He was shown things he can't repeat. But yet, you see him come out in these little statements. These little statements that he says. It, it, it's extraordinary to read between the lines in some of these things. Do you not know, verse 3, that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So I want you to understand here that, that we are to judge angels. And don't miss the fact that we're also going to judge the world. We will rule the world. Now, I can tell you, for me, even teaching that for years and years and years, I'm the, yeah, millennium. Yeah, millennium time. That's all going to happen. You know, we all go in the rapture and we're all good and... Yeah, yeah, we all get on God's team and then we come back and we rule in the millennium. Not what it says. It's not what it says. And I'm going to go on and show you what I mean. Romans chapter 16. And again, you want to, you want to really go back later and dissect these passages. They're important. 
This is one of the ones that I missed for 40 years. This is important. Understand the wording that's being said here. I was going to just read verse 20, but I'm going to go back for a second. We might do a little dovetail here. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Let, let me just talk about this for one second, because I get a lot of people that claim I'm a false prophet, that say I'm, I don't know, confused in the head. I mean, I'll say it that way nicely. They don't say it so nicely. That say literally that what I am saying or what God is saying through me is to deceive them. Deceive the church. And so they don't want to have anything to do with me. By the way, I won't go there. (laughs) This is our family. This is my family. They know who, who I'm talking about. We heard from one just a week ago. And the truth is, you've got a couple of problems if you're saying that what I am saying is, is against God or that I am a false teacher, I am trying to dissuade the bride away from Christ. I'll tell you the first problem is I'm trying to get you to go toward him. Amen. Man alive. How stupid. How stupid. Can you not figure that out? Can you not listen to that? Instead, you yell and say, we don't, we, Alexis, myself, do not even believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That he isn't really God. I will refrain from cussing because I don't cuss. But that's baloney. That's exactly what that is. Jesus Christ is the way is the truth, is the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. So if you think I'm trying to get you away from Jesus Christ, you don't listen very well. I'm not even trying to get you to come to ignition. If I wanted to grow this church, do you think that I wouldn't know how? In today's programs? Man, we could do all kinds of things. The first of which, get a building. Wow, there's an idea. How about making space for people? You know, that's an idea, but that's not what God wants. Because, see, God wants for me to point people to him. Point people to his son. For the purpose of their own relationship with him. Man, if, if I could wish anything for all of you, It is to have the relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ facilitated by the Holy Spirit that I have. 
And I know that's a bold statement. I'm glad I wasn't the first because you know what Paul said. But it's the truth. And you know why I believe that? Why I wish that? Because if you did, you would know the Father. You would hear his voice. You would speak with him. And he would tell you the same thing I'm telling you now. It's about him. It's not about Greg Twiddell. It's not about anybody else in here. It's about you and God. Personal relationship. God is not trying to build a relationship with a nation. He already tried that. didn't work out so well for him. So he thought, okay, I'm going to go broader than that. I want to give him personal relationship, and it's available to anybody. That's why Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, was so eager to go to ascend to the Father. And he even said to his disciples, trust me, you want me to go. Because when I go, he sends the Comforter. He sends the Holy Spirit, which is the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. And yet we know about this power. We seem to think that all he does is seal us when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Like that's a lot for him. I won't put any more on you, Holy Spirit, because you're sealing me and and I get my golden ticket to go to heaven one day. And that's awesome. I know you're pretty taxed on that, so I won't give you anything else. And he said, man, you're missing it. If you think the narrow way is accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, you're confused, you're blind, and you don't even know the truth. Amen. That's the broad way. That's the broad way. Because it doesn't take anything from you except for faith and believing in who He is. All you do is accept it. That's all you do. You say, yes, Jesus, I believe in who you are. Be my Messiah. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I'm yours. Boom. For eternity, we have life from that moment on. That is justification of sin. That is not relationship with the Father. That is not relationship through Jesus Christ. In fact, it's not relationship at all. And we could, oh, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, I'm saved. I accept Jesus. Guess what? That's not a relationship with Him. A relationship is two ways. It's 100% going this way and 100% going that way. In justification, nothing was required of us but acceptance and belief. In relationship, everything is required of us. Everything. See, God wants us to wake up. He wants us to wake up and understand what that means. Because not only is it available to you, it is required of you to see it. Because if you don't, you won't be part of this mystery. Doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation. Doesn't mean you'll lose your ticket to heaven. It just means... That without relationship with him, you will not be a part of ruling with him. 
as it says in Revelation chapter 3, that those who conquer will rule the nations with him. Now, where was I? Uh, oh, yes. Yes. So, yeah, we finally got to verse 20. <laughs> okay. Sorry, that was a little tail end there I wanted to kind of kind of go with. But verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, read that fast, and you're going to miss everything. Because I read it fast for 40 years. I read it fast, and I'm... I'm, I'm looking at this and, and recognize that, that, that this, this book here, Romans, was written to Gentile, to a Gentile nation. It was written to the Gentiles. It was not written to the Jews. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under what? Your feet. Not under Jesus' feet. Why? Because Jesus already did it. Jesus already defeated death. He already made way the possibility for Satan to be crushed under your feet. Wow, when, when I saw that, uh, I mean, my, my reaction was a physical reaction. Sit back in my seat and I'm, Lord, wait, wait a second. So all these things that you had given away in the nations, you're going to take them back. And it doesn't get taken back without a fight. See, there's someone in the way. And it's not just Satan or the Satan, or Lucifer. It's all his armies are in the way. And yet they're going to be crushed under the feet of Jesus' bride. How will this happen? When will this happen? You know what? I'm, I'm going to stop there. Because... I've only got about eight more passages, and I don't think I could do it in a few minutes. And I, I knew it was going to go to next week. But I want you to go back. I want you to listen to this again. I want you to study it. I want you to recognize as we go into next week what it means that Satan will be crushed under your feet. That God is expecting his bride to rise up. That nobody in his bride is expected to be a bystander. Nobody. We're expected to see. We're expected to know. We're expected to understand. And by the way, I can tell you this based on how ridiculous the last few weeks have been in warfare. Satan doesn't want this said. He has come against us so hard because he doesn't want this said. Why? Because he doesn't want to hear it? No, he knows it. He doesn't want you to know it. Because when, when Jesus' bride gets it, and as they get that, as they become that army rising up, 
I have felt Satan's fear in this. The Lord has allowed me over and over and over again to feel that. He has told me at times when Satan is trembling in fear. Not of us, not of me, not of the church. But of the church getting it through relationship with the Father. Because who he's really afraid of is Yahweh. He's afraid of Jesus. He's afraid because he knows his end. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you. And we love you, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you are opening eyes. Even those who are obstinate, even those who are stuck in their own worldly ways, thinking that they are godly and are not, you will open their eyes. You will. Because what you want to do through your bride demands it. Each will have a choice. You will rise up a remnant. That remnant will become an army. That army will become a governing body. And you will have your way. You will have your way. Those whom did not steward what you have given them in these principalities, it will be taken away. And it will be stewarded by those who give it to you. Because this is not about any of us. This is about you. This is about Yahweh. This is about your son, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness being God and in all ways equal with God, yet choosing to insert yourself into your own creation. Choosing to make yourself lower than the angels, a little lower even than your own creation. Because from that, you would rise up And all those who oppose your father will be destroyed in this realm and in your realm. That is why you said your kingdom has already come. Just because your kingdom has come, which you said when you were alive on this earth, doesn't mean that as humans that we see it. Because we live in a cloud of deception. Thinking that the only things that are real are what we could see and taste and touch. And yet it's so much more. You are expanding your temple. 
as your people build relationship with you. Your temple adds another room to the point where the gates of hell cannot withstand your brides and your assault. It was never that the gates of hell were going to be able to crush you. It's that the gates of hell were able to withstand the assault of mankind until your son came and gave his life for us. Oh, we love you. We love you and trust you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm I'm not going to stop yet. I I want you to continue talking. Share anything the Lord gave you. One thing that, it's really interesting how it segues into even what I announce every week. And I did want this online because it's so interesting that the Lord, at the end of the, the pieces of armor, which we actually talked about in the ladies' class this morning in Ephesians 6, that the greatest kind of connecting of all the armor is praying always in the spirit in all and every occasion in all situations. And when I think about all that this subduing the earth that Greg's been unpacking for us in scripture and the authority that we carry, how powerful prayer is to that taking of territory by the enemy of the enemy for God's kingdom. And it really is because prayer has fallen away. Prayer has become dull. Prayer has lessened in the bride that these other things have become stronger. There is such great, great warfare done in the spirit when we pray. It is so amazing how that happens. And there, the Revelation verse, he mentioned Revelation, and there were, there were just so many things that unlock. Oh, by the way. Um, That's Psalm 82 for the message. Anyone that struggles, Psalm 82, verse 1, look at it in multiple translations. Verse 1 is one of the greatest scriptural evidences of the courts of heaven dimension. Because it literally, the chapter starts with the fact that God presides over the courts of heaven. The courts of heaven has often been thought of uh, with people that have maybe been unfamiliar with it as some sort of method. But it is a dimension of the spirit over which God presides, and we go before his throne. And in Revelation 12, that's what Satan does. He is the accuser of the brethren, going before all the time. And the Lord was reminding me as Greg was sharing these things about that verse we all know in verse 11 of Revelation 12. That is, they overcame him by simply the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto death. That is the purity of... And the power, it's like Jesus did the first part. And then we walk in the power of the word of our testimony and we back it up by a laid down life, even unto death, sold out for him in purity. That is the essence of victory. But, um, and this is just the last thing that I wanted to say in terms of, of a comment um, on this, this. Again, it's profound and it's been really profound to even Greg's study on it. But when he mentioned the spies going in to survey the land in Canaan, Joshua and Caleb, 
you know, what's so great, even though it's such a familiar story that many of us know, what's so great about them is, you know, when you know your God, when you know him, when you know him personally, relationally, he talks to you, you hear his voice, you, you understand, you, you may not be able to grasp it all, but, but there's this knowing by faith in the mighty, mighty God that is your God, personal God. You kind of are just unfazed by certain things, certain giants, certain territories that aren't taken because you already recognize that in that relationship it is his strength and not yours. And that's what always stood out to me about Joshua and Caleb, that when they came back with the other ten spies who, who were fearful themselves and they began to spread fear, and it took on in, a, in an absolute panic, contagious panic. Where have we seen that before? Where their fear of not knowing who their God was was projected onto the people, and the people literally almost caught it like an infection and began to panic about, oh man, you know, we're going to die. Our sons and daughters were going to die. They hadn't even seen it or experienced anything, but they believed the fear. And yet Joshua and Caleb were so confident. And I love that picture because it's really a picture of the remnant. It's like, yeah, we can take them because we know our God. I know whom I have believed. Okay? I am fully persuaded by faith that he's the one that's able to keep that, which I've committed unto him against that day. That Hebrews verse I love so much. It is his strength in us. And there is, there is such a, um, you know, don't, don't just think by the agreeing with this in concept is enough. You really do need to drill down. Take heed to what um, the challenge that Greg gave each of us, that that knowing, that digging deeper will solidify your faith, your knowing, not just in agreement like, yeah, yeah, that, that man, I can agree with that. That sounds good. It has to be a knowing for you. It can't be a knowing, you know, through secondhand, yes, there, there's nothing in that message. Perhaps you're one that said there's nothing in that message I take issue with, so I agree with it. If you don't know it for yourself and for your own walk, for your own victory, the authority that you are given, not just that someone else is given that maybe you're connected to, but that you yourself are given when the enemy knocks at your door with temptations customized for you, your weaknesses, your trauma that he brings back up to cause another stronghold because, well, I went through this brokenness that I didn't want, but now it's caused me to act like this or it's caused me to be addicted to this or it's caused this and that. Satan has a whole strategy. You'll never walk in that overcoming victory if you don't know for yourself who your God is and then how to war in the spirit because the spirit realm is the real reality. There's so many different advice opportunities given in this realm that are just so futile. They're just, they fall, they fall flat unless we know um, who our God is and we believe that the real battle is in the spirit. And those are all really key factors to, to this command to subdue the earth and to live victoriously. So I just, um, I thought about the, the prayer announcement that I always give and I'm thinking, man, it is no small thing. If you have a weak struggling oh shoot forgot to pray today yeah, i mean i prayed when i woke up but then i just didn't i didn't pray there should be a constant communication that ask the lord to really increase it because if if your prayer is it, it ought to be both intentional yes but it ought to just be a spontaneous response 
to every single thing you encounter. Because that's what actual conversational relationship is. I'm just talking to the Lord all the time about everything. I'm not just, it's not just when I'm asking for stuff. He's not the great Santa in the sky. He's not the, the, the harsh judge that, okay, well, now I'm going to pray because I sinned and please forgive me because I don't want your punishment. He's, he's just constant there all the time. As soon as I know I've offended him or hurt him or grieved the Holy Spirit, I ask for forgiveness. But then I ask him, what's on your heart? You know, what, what paradigms do you need to change in me? You know, what do you, what do you want to talk about today? Because I'm a yapper with the Lord. I, just, I can talk about all kinds of things. And sometimes the Lord's like, shh. Okay, Alexis, this is what we're going to talk about today. It's time. It's time to address this. It's time for me to show you something exciting. It's time to reveal some things. It's time to show you more of what I've called you to be, where I've called you to go, how I've called you to think, because you are loved. You are chosen. Do you know that you are? There's not just a select few. The Lord's not a respecter of persons. He loves each of us. We are called, and he is good. Everything is good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that verse. But that's what prayer is. Prayer ought to be, yes, there are times where we're intentional. Get on those prayer calls. Ignition has two prayer calls every single day. It is open to everyone, no matter where you are, in the world. It is available. You don't have to say anything. The only thing is you can't be anonymous. We do have, you, you would have to identify your phone number as just who you are. It's not that there's a big vetting. It's just that anonymous listeners in, um, we just we don't let anybody be totally anonymous on the prayer call. And, and if you don't know where the wisdom of that is, then, uh, then you maybe need to pray about that. But you're invited to be part of our prayer calls. Engage with us. Pray. We have a 1230 every day. Um, uh, every other Saturday we don't because of our gifts meeting. And then every evening, seven nights a week at 830 in Eastern um, Standard Time, uh, East Coast time. And uh, we're going to be increasing these prayer calls. As God provides more and more leadership, we're going to increase prayer calls because the unified prayer of the bride is so powerful. I mean, you cannot know what kind of victory God's given us. We had a prayer strategy a couple years ago to take on the wickedness of, of what happens at Halloween and even what happens on Good Friday of ritual sacrifices and the things in Satan's kingdom that most, most churches don't even want to know about. And, and yet that blissful ignorance makes them then not attack it with prayer and release armies of angels of heaven's kingdom into the camp of the enemy to take that on. We can't. It is the most selfish thing to be ignorant of Satan's devices because we carry the authority through Jesus and what he paid for, to take the territory from the enemy. And most of us, most people that give to charities for trafficking and all these evil things, if they had the resources, if they had the superpower to do it, they'd say they would engage. But they say, well, what can I do? Well, maybe I can send money. You know, what can I do? We can do everything. Like Peter, when the lame man, he walked by the lame man, he said, help me. Give, give me something. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. I've got nothing in this human realm to give you. But that which I do have, I will give unto you. And he laid hands and he prayed. That's where the power is. That's where the war is. 
going before Almighty God. Do you know who your God is? When you do, your prayer life will explode. It can't not. Because it's just an extension of the conversation you have with the Lord all the time. So I want to encourage you. It's not just some duty to get on a prayer call. Don't think of it like that. And many of you have other prayer groups you're part of, and I love hearing about that. Get with people. Pray. Pray by yourself. Pray intentionally with others. Pray spontaneously. Get on, on, a, on a, the conference call within your phone, a three-way call, whatever you need. Pray with people. Watch what God does when you begin to believe him for how he moves through prayer. It, is, it will blow your mind. Believe him for it ahead of time. And you'll just find that you'll be very invigorated. And it will be God that will give you faithfulness, the faithfulness to pray more than you ever thought you could. I never would have imagined that my Christian life would involve so many prayer calls. It's God that does it. Whatever you, if you say, well, yeah, I really can't do that. I'm just not that disciplined. And it's not about you. Trust him. Let him flow through you. And he is good. So 